Hello, and welcome to the Data Cloud Podcast. Today's episode features an interview with Patrick DeRosso, Vice President of Enterprise Data Management at Under Armour. He has over 20 years of experience developing and managing global enterprise environments and improving data culture and literacy across teams. In this episode, Patrick talks about how to be a data evangelist in your organization, how Under Armour has migrated to the cloud, servant leadership, and so much more. So please enjoy this interview between Patrick DeRosso and your host, Steve Hamm. So Patrick, it's great to have you on the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. Now, our listeners are familiar with Under Armour, no question about that. But please fill us in on some of the dimensions of the business, its competitive dynamics, that sort of thing. Any major shifts in strategy underway? Well, again, thanks Thanks again for having me and, and thanks for the question. We'll start at the basic high level. I mean, Under Armour is a global omnichannel retailer. I think one of the great things that we've done and over the past few years, our leadership has done is really helped define who and what we are. And as an organization, really proud because we've we've really settled in on the concept of what you'll hear is our purpose. We empower those who strive for more. And that really helps drive our, our vision, which has been around forever. And that's to inspire you with performance solutions you never knew you needed and can't imagine living without. So what, what does that all mean? And, and really going to the heart of your question, we, we really look to focus and deliver that to our to our end consumers in any form or fashion. And we have a presence throughout the throughout the globe, through wholesalers, through retail stores that we franchise partners, et cetera. So, I mean, I think with most retailers nowadays, you'll hear the, the concept of DTC or direct-to-consumer. And I would say that's that's really where, I wouldn't call it a shift per se, but a, a lot of focus because the more we can c- communicate with our consumers and the more personalized we can do that, the, the better we can really deliver on our purpose and our vision. Yeah, and it seems like sharing data with your partners, either upstream or downstream, is has become absolutely critical because of COVID, right? Hundred percent, and being able to share in a in a more I don't want to say real time, but in a more efficient and repeatable and scalable fashion. I think that's very important. Yeah. So you're the VP of Enterprise Data Management. I want to hear about your role in the company. I understand that you're a change maker, and I want to know what changes are you making in the way the company uses technology and data. Yeah, I love change maker. Um, I don't. I don't know if I would own that that brand, but I'll, I'll I'll take it. Well, well, I have it on authority from the Snowflake salesperson who, who deals with you, so <laughs> you can't you can't wriggle off the hook. All right. Okay. All right. A little bias there, but I'll I'll take it. I mean, for for, for me, I, I I will take the so yeah, VP of Enterprise Data Management. Great. And as an organization, we cover what I'll call all things data: governance, engineering, analytics architecture, et cetera. But for me, the real thing that I, I really take a, take pride in and believe is I, I am the data evangelist. No one's actually given me that title, so I'm actually going to create that one as well as Changemaker. But re- really going out there and, and speaking and, and advocating for data and really driving that as part of our culture and our data literacy. To, to me, that's really what my purpose and my role is. It's less about the bits and bytes of data. It's less about how we use it or when we use it, because those are all important. But really is how do we actually elevate our culture and our literacy as an entire organization outside of my domain of influence per se, but throughout the entire Under Armour as an organization. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're saying is, I mean, you, you, you supervise a certain core of people, but 
your job is really to convince everybody in the company how important data is and to use it more aggressively. Sounds like right. Very yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's 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 the measure of success. Yeah. So I've been told that you're turning the approach to data processing with the company pretty dramatically from being a decentralized data and analytics organization to a centralized one. So why are you doing that and how is it going? I'd love to take credit for doing it alone, but I think the, the organization as a whole, a uh, few years back, actually prior, prior to COVID, realized that our ability to really drive data-driven decisions was impeded by the fact that we were decentralized. Essentially, everyone was operating in a siloed fashion and not for the greater good of, or really driving this enterprise mindset. So I think when, when uh, the collective leadership saw that there was a greater opportunity of really consolidating the functions to a, a more centralized model and driving that culture from, from a core enterprise perspective, we would probably gain a lot more efficiencies moving forward. So I am was, was given the opportunity, I should say, given the opportunity to lead and drive that, build this organization from scratch and, and really build that structure. And it, it's been great. It's been great because everyone wants to be more data-driven. And, and I say that very explicitly because I think everyone's data-driven in all organizations to some degree. It's a question of level of maturity. Whether you use an Excel spreadsheet or you use some advanced automated tool, you can consider yourself a data-driven, having a data-driven mindset. So for us, it was really about Let's level set our baseline and accept where we are in our maturity. And then from there, really create a vision and a roadmap to accelerate that to move forward. So that's what I've been doing. And I've really created a framework around that to help drive us forward. Yeah. So in order to do this, people have to give up something. They have to give up control over their data, right? I mean, is there kind of like, if you do that, then you get this reward. How do you, how do you sell them on the idea? Yeah, that's, that's a great, great point, right? And and for me, it's about a partnership. So it's a great lead into what I call our three pillars. It's the typical triad or people process technology. Little spin on it with my three pillars are data is at the core. And if we really align that we need to make proper decisions with the right data that we can trust in their accountability, there's, there's one aspect of it. Then there is the second part of that is governance. If we have the right governance around our data, and we've all aligned cross-functionally on how to manage that governance and manage their data, then you're starting to build trust and leveraging that data so that there is not a separate version of the truth, no matter where you are, right. but a, a truly unified version of truth. And the third part of that pillar for me is engagement, which I think is always the toughest part. And that's really, how do we get everyone to really come and really participate in the benefit of what we're doing as a true collaborative cross-functional and partners. And if, when you get all three of those things together, that to be is the success or the definition of being truly data-driven is how you get all of our data properly governed, everyone participating in it and leveraging it together in a, in a trusted way to tell a story with the data. That's, that's where you get that buy-in because now people are all now going through the same or trying to achieve the same mission. No, that's a, that's a great answer. I love those three pillars. Now, You've been at Under Armour for more than six years, several different roles, and previously you worked in the financial services industry, I know. So along the way in your career, what leadership lessons have you learned that are that you're really putting to use right now? Now, you're not asking me my age, are you? I hope you're not. <laughs> no, that's not that's, no, no, that's, um, it's not some s- secret way of dividing your age. No, no. Yeah, you don't no. have to say how many, other than the six years that you've been at 
Under Armour, no more of your secrets will be released by me. All right. Thank you, Steve. So I consider myself seasoned in the business environment, and I've I've learned a, a number of things. And I've been around a lot of different leaders, and I've seen a lot of different styles. And I think what I've adopted to or gravitated towards is it's really the concept of empathy and the team first. I guess in real common parlance, that's that's really servant leadership. But ultimately, it's it's really that. How, how do you actually lead by following? How do we engage the team and elevate the team to be leaders? How do you make sure that you're not the smartest one in the room, though at times you may be the smartest one in the room? And how do you really operate that way? And, and for me, that's that's been the the mantra I've been I've always tried to operate in, and I've always tried to to really lead, help me lead the teams. And I think it's served me well. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like that kind of, I mean, what you're really talking about in a sense is diplomacy. And that is absolutely vital in the role that you're playing now, where you, where you have to convince these different business units to play nice together and, and share data. So it seems like that's essential. Yeah, I would agree. One of the attributes of that is just being able to listen. So listening first is something I, I am a listener, so I will listen a lot longer, aside from what we're doing right now, more than I speak. <laughs> but it, it allows me to really just get a perspective and even formulate my thoughts. And as, as a self-proclaimed, attested introvert, which I'm, I'm okay with, I do process and I do collect data and I, and I want to just understand it before speaking and not, and not just being, not just speaking just to hear myself speak but ultimately listening to perspectives and formulating an opinion. Yeah. It's interesting. I've been involved in a bunch of organizations recently that are literally leaderless. And it, it, it kind of makes you rethink, what are we going to do at this meeting and, and all this kind of stuff. And I think most organizations obviously have a lot more structure than that, but I think it's, it really gets you down to the basics of, of how you get along and how you get stuff done. So I think you're doing some pretty interesting stuff there too. Okay, so I want to talk about the data cloud now because one of the essentials of all that sharing and centralizing you're doing is being able to put all the data up in the cloud and share it from there. So when and why did Under Armour begin moving its applications and data to the cloud and what's the status of that migration now? I think along with many in the last decade, in the 2010s, and again, I've been there, like you said, six years, the the idea of moving to the cloud was when that everyone was starting to adopt more and it it became more of a migration. So, yeah. So when I started at the beginning of my tenure, there was a cloud first mentality and it was, it really was, the mentality was, can we do this in the cloud and leverage all the benefits of scale, et cetera, that we could we could drive versus uh, building things on premises? And we've we've gone heavy, just like every most organizations. We're not one hundred percent there, but I would also argue I don't think we'll ever be one hundred percent there. But we we are still cloud first in that mentality. We are looking for the benefits of that, the global scale that a cloud brings you and extensibility that it offers, but. Yeah, we've we've done pretty well on that journey, and I think I'm very happy with it. So, cloud first means any new application is born in the cloud. Is that basically That's, it? Every, every cloud first is any new application is born in the cloud. Is we're going to revisit its its uh, ability to be born in the cloud because yeah. there may be a scenario where there, that's not possible. But yes, yeah, that's yeah. the intent. So, a lot of legacy stuff stays on premises, but maybe gradually you move it over when there's an opportunity. 
Exactly. So you start looking at things and, and refresh or refactoring them to the cloud. It's, it's not a just stop, drop and roll. <laughs> Let's get everything to the cloud. It's yeah, we have yeah. to do it when it makes sense and how it makes sense. Yeah. Now, the cloud is known for making things easy, but there are challenges, right? I mean, what are the, the main challenges that Under Armour has faced in this migration? I'll talk through challenges that I experience in different roles to, to where we are even today. But the, the challenge of the cloud for me personally has always been the concept. If, you, if I were starting a company day one, it's very easy. Greenfield, right. we'll just do it, everything in the cloud. But most organizations are we call brownfield. They're, they're, you have a legacy footprint that you need to address. So being able to move that, that expense from a financial accounting perspective, which typically is a sunk cost of sorts, that's probably still on your books that you're that you're addressing, and probably leverage, leverage some capital expenditure there to a a now subscription based operational expense. So getting your finance and accounting to really align with this new model has always been a challenge from that migration perspective, and you're eventually able to do it, right? Now you have a partnership with Snowflake and a, a commercial relationship there. When and why did the company first engage with Snowflake? To be honest, I learned about Snowflake through uh, this relationship. It was outside of my domain of expertise or and, and responsibility specifically. And I know it was a very specific use case in our marketing world where analytics was a key requirement and some of the tooling and technologies available at the time were, were not really servicing the needs. And they were brought in for a very specific use case. I participated in the peripheral, but did see the value that the teams were getting the time. But again, this was a, when we mentioned the decentralized world we lived in, it was a, it was was a team working to solve a problem, but didn't really have an organizational buy-in. So that's how we started. All right. So let's drill down a little bit, Patrick. Let's look at a couple of examples of how you're using the Snowflake data platform strategically and and what kind of results you're getting. So for, for us, if we think about our intent, it's how do we, going back to my three pillars, data, governance, and engagement. One of the first initiatives was how do we consolidate our data to a solid data platform to, to really provide enterprise scale, accessibility, et cetera. So marketing was the first use case, as I mentioned. And though it, in that siloed use case, we were able to refactor that into our new enterprise standard. And that was easy for us because, again, there was there was learnings that we took and, and were really able to apply. And then it's a matter of now just extending that through the rest of our organization, whether it's in supply chain, retail, et cetera. Now, you mentioned before earlier about how you're using data so aggressively in, in transportation and logistics and stuff like that. How does Snowflake play into that? What's, what's the role that it plays? Well, one of the things that I that I love about the platform itself is the, the whole concept of what it opens up for me outside of my controlled domain, and that's in data sharing. I think the the power of data and analytics and the power of all the things that are available to us is, is the ability to get these third-party data sets, partner data sets, and, and really be able to cross-reference them with our, our own first-party data and enterprise data sets. So data sharing has been something that's been top of mind, and, and the ease of that has been critical. So as we've worked through, we've been trying to find ways to data share the low-hanging fruit. And some of the first low-hanging fruit that we've gone after is logistics, where we've had some, some of our major partners share data with us 
in a more dynamic and streamlined fashion, which is translated into operational efficiencies for us from an organizational perspective, cost savings, dynamic reporting, et cetera. But ultimately, it's just driving that mission of how do we embed our data and analytics into the everyday uses with, throughout, our, through our organization and for our teammates, and which, which makes them smarter and not spending time trying to do data acquisition and then data curation. That's all happening through the platform initiated, but through that data sharing. Yeah, no, that's great. So we're living on a continuum here as technology progresses and our uses of data progress. So what kind of advice do you have for Snowflake about what new features or capabilities you'd like to see in the platform? I think like most organizations, you you grow up in a space. So for me in understanding it, and it's Snowflake, it was a data warehouse to start off a very extensible one, agnostic to the cloud services on top of that, which I think is fantastic. And then growing into truly a platform that can service all data needs. And I think the maturity of that is important. And I say that because for us, we're kind of on that same journey. And data science to me is is where that journey really meets. And being able to activate our data scientists, our advanced analytics folks in the platform, uh, to, to be able to drive, aggregate, draw insights from, from that is key. And today, there are limitations in that. And I know Snowflake as an organization is, is improving on that, but there are some limitations in there. So for our native data scientists, I think that's an opportunity that, that would really help drive some unlock capabilities. So you're talking about like support for Python and stuff like that, Scala? Yep, exactly. Okay. And I know that that's something that Snowflake is introducing and, and strengthening almost by the day. So I think it sounds like that's the strategic thing that everybody's looking at. Correct. I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah. So beyond the Snowflake relationship now, let's let's look at the at the the environment of of data management and data analytics technologies out there. What are the major data technology trends that you expect to emerge over the next year or so? It's, it's interesting because when I think about why are we doing all of this, we're not collecting data for the sake of collecting data. We're, we're, we're doing this to draw insights to make better decisions, more informed decisions. Again, the concept of being a data-driven or data-enabled culture environment. So, so for me, what, what, I, what I really look forward to, and we, we see pieces of it coming, but not, not holistically, but really is that ability for anyone I always have a comment with my my teammates. If my mom can understand it, we're doing pretty good, right? Or I want to create a mom slide, which is what I call it. So the, the, the idea here is people should be able to ask questions of data in a very simplistic, natural language sense, and really be able to engage with that to, to draw the insights. And there's a lot of time today spent on acquiring data, transforming a data, and that's all heavy lifting that all has to happen. But I, I really do see a future where a lot of that will be more managed through the AI ML world and, mm-hmm. and more automated, but really the unlock of how do we get people to, to really engage with the data more seamlessly so that my CEO can literally just like he does with Amazon or Google and ask a question of the data, go order me a package. He can ask, how are we doing today in a very seamless way and not, not way that that's uh, put together yeah. So, so really make the data accessible to the business manager and the business executive. It seems like with Looker and Tableau and Power BI and some of these other tools, 
that's those are some big steps forward. But when it comes to data science, that stuff is not accessible to to regular people these days, right? I mean, is this are you seeing trends toward that? Yeah, and, and I think that's exactly it. So you, you have you have technologies out there that that are trying to that offers the natural language processing way of engaging with the data sets that are available. It's it's really that next generation of maturity that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And because that's a lot of that is descriptive. And how do you get to the predictive version of that to some extent, which is really around the data science point of your brain? But but it is the unlocking of that data in the very simplest form. That's that's where it gets super powerful. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. I think we all want that, right? <laughs> For sure. I see the future. What a fascinating modern age we live in. Is this what the future holds? So I'm going to ask you to put on your visionary cap for a second. Looking out five years or more, what impact do you expect data analytics to have on business and even on society? Wow. You know, it's, it's, it really ties back to what we just talked about. It's the, the more accessible you make trusted govern data, the more collaborative people can be because there isn't multiple versions of the truth, the, the more I think efficient and productive will be. And I think that shows up in a lot of different ways. So going back to my original statement, where we started sustainability, which if, if you care about the earth and what we're doing, the legacy that we leave behind, that matters. And the data that supports that becomes more transparent and more clear to be able to, to achieve those kind of things. So it's just, I think all these, all these things are, it's, it's great that we say that we're doing this for our shareholders, we're driving profitability, but at the end of the day, the difference that we make and we're able to make goes a long way Then data drives that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to something you said a minute ago about being able to predict because what that's about is if I do this, if I make this decision, that's likely to, to happen. So if we're able to make better decisions, businesses will be more efficient, maybe they'll be more profitable, but in a sense, the broadest sense, the world will be operating better. It'll it'll work better. Yes, exactly. And I, I believe that. I believe that at the core as well. Yeah, that's a nice vision for the future. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Really need to dig deep and get to know the real you. In the real up close and personal. So Patrick, we, we typically close the podcast with something personal. And I understand that your family came from Haiti and that you have some sense of social responsibility, that you help with addressing social problems in Haiti. So if you tell us a little bit about your family background and, and what you're doing now, I think that would be a, a great way to close it out. I'd love to talk about this because it's it is a it is who I am. So my family. I'm first generation American from Haiti, as you stated. My I'm the youngest of 10. My parents and my siblings came over a couple of years before I was born. So I'm the only one born in the States. But what it's what it's and we're we still have family in country throughout the US, all over, really. And what what it's done for me is growing up here in America and through the American system, but also having roots in the Caribbean have allowed me to see just the dichotomy of life <laughs> and, and, and understanding that there's always a way. There's always, when you see poverty, true poverty, which is heartbreaking, where you see children with no clothes working through garbage piles for food, 
you understand. But yet every Sunday they get dressed to go to church, they go to school, they find a way. It really gives you this perspective on life that all the things that we do from work, et cetera, is really not that serious. And, and really what we do for each other and, and the world that we leave behind and opportunities that we create for those is, is probably the most important. So for me, I do feel a sense of social responsibility. Haiti has been in the news a lot and not all for great things. But one thing I can say is it's a beautiful country with, with some of the best beaches in the world and some of the greatest resorts, et cetera. But you'll never know that because the news shows another side of it, which is all real too. So I'm not denying that. But being someone who has the ability to fly in and out of that country, I, I get to see all sides of it. And when the earthquake happened in 2010, where I, I did lose family members there, um, I, I was on the ground. Earthquake happened on Tuesday. I was on the ground on Thursday because I wanted to go see my family and ensure that they were okay. But it also created a drive in me. So I ended up starting a nonprofit at the time called Hope Lives, where it was around how do we get things to the people who need them when they need them? And that was what I'll call my measure of success, extremely successful because there was so much engagement and that's been fantastic. And with the earthquakes and all the, the political strife that's happened, the flooding earthquake that happened this past fall, it was great to see. I wrote an open letter on LinkedIn asking my friends to participate and help make a difference. And it was really just an open letter, open heart. And I was really happy and proud because literally within, I, I gave a two-week window because I was connected with another nonprofit organization who I knew can help get from a logistics perspective, all the supplies in country. But within a two-week window, we were able to, to raise over $100,000. We were able to get 90,000 products down in country, verified to to people who actually needed them. And that, that was, that I didn't ask for any money. Those were like, we, we needed to get products down to country. So that was fantastic. So I, I just feel, and I can go on forever <laughs> about yeah. this stuff and, and I yeah. won't, but, but I'll, I'll end it saying that it's, it's something that if, if you, if you wake up every morning and your purpose is, is, is not properly aligned with things that matter. And I don't mean going to work or anything else, it's, it's making a difference in someone else's life, then I think you all need to reevaluate that. That's just kind of where I come from. Oh, Patrick, that's a beautiful thing. And it's clear that your values are so elemental to your life, your professional life. I mean, when you talked about leadership, servant leadership, having empathy, being led with empathy and listening, I think all those things are of a, of a piece and I hope that this is the kind of thing that people, <laughs> that there's more and more success from this approach to, to careers and, and, and professions and, and businesses. And you do see it. And I, I, I'd like to see more, but I'm, I'm really glad to see you doing it. Thank you. Thank you. Much appreciated. The Data Cloud World Tour is making 21 stops around the globe so you can learn about the latest innovations at Snowflake's Data Cloud at a venue near you. Join your fellow data leaders at one of our full-day events to network with Snowflake customers and technology partners, attend educational breakout sessions, and learn how to drive more value from your data. Find an event near you at www.snowflake.com data cloud world tour